Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. I love the gospel accounts because I'm so much like everybody within the story who is expecting Jesus just to not be there. That sometimes, to my fault, how I live my Christian life. Expecting him or assuming that he's not there. Or assuming that like he's not active anymore. He's not, Lord, where are you at? You're not doing anything in my life. You're not speaking to me. Why aren't you talking to me? All this stuff. And I'm just the same as these people showing up to a tomb expecting a dead Jesus inside of there. Have you ever read the end of a book first, just to find out how the story turns out? We have a distinct advantage over those who lived during Jesus' time on earth, because we can just flip to the end of the book and see how the story ends. We can know what to expect as the story unfolds. It's easy to chastise those who missed what Jesus was saying, since we know how it ends. But as Pastor James shows us today, we're often no better. We go through life expecting a dead Jesus where he actually is alive and active. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Mark, chapter 16, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. We need bread for the broken, give some bread to the broken. We need hope for the hopeless, give some hope to the hopeless, hopeless. Bread for the broken, broken. Mark chapter 16, in case you don't know, uh, we, we just go through the Bible. That's what we do. Um, there's nothing, I don't know. I mean, it's just simple, I guess. Through Mark, we started in chapter one a little over a year ago uh, at our old building. We've just, since we've moved from Stewart Road over to here and just the journey of that, we've been walking through this gospel and it's been, it's been incredible. It's been an amazing journey, I think. And now we get to conclude that journey. And so, just as a reminder, uh, the individual who is physically writing this book is, is Mark, and alongside with Peter, and it's the Holy Spirit who is speaking to them and giving them the words to write. We believe that the whole Bible is the inspired word of God. We don't believe that only parts of it are inspired. We actually believe that the whole thing is inspired, okay? Um, we believe the truths from the Bible. We hold fast to these things. The only thing that we, we will present to you is the Word of God. That's the best we have. And it's all we need, okay? Um, it's all we need. And so as we've walked through this journey with the Gospel of Mark, it, it's a fun gospel. It's an action-filled gospel. The verbiage within there is immediately. And I mean, just that, that term there is repeated all throughout this gospel. It's just, it flows quick and fast. And I can't believe it took me over a year to get through this gospel because my plan was it wasn't going to take a year, not at all. Um, but that's the Lord's plan, right? And so we, we come to the conclusion of this in chapter 16. We looked at the, the death of Jesus on the cross and then the burial of Jesus in this brand new tomb that Jesus was only going to borrow. He only needed to borrow this thing for three days. He's like, just I'll just, you can have it back, okay? You can have it back, Joseph, no big deal. But we saw him go into the tomb, and, and then that's like Friday, right? But you have a whole day, Saturday, probably the saddest day in all of Christian history, you know? And it shouldn't have been, but it was. If I was one of the disciples, or let's say, not the 12, but, you know, I probably would have been, you know, 119 out of the 120 or so, right? Like, that would have been where I was at. I would have been mourning on Saturday. I would have been bummed out. I would have been depressed. I would have been like, well, I guess it's over. 
That was a fun ride, three years, three and a half years maybe. Well, what, what do we do now? The truth is that he had told them, I'm going to rise again. I'm going to rise again. I will rise again. And what we, where we pick up in the story in verse 1 is he did what he said he was going to do. And if, if this word is true, which we believe it is, then everything he has ever said he will do will come to pass. Okay? Everything. Which means this is past tense. He has rose from the grave, right? He also told us he will be coming back. So everything we've seen through the gospel has happened. And we're holding fast to these other promises that we know are going to come true. We just don't know when it's going to happen, but we know it's going to happen. He's coming back. So let's look at verse 1. Verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 16. Saturday evening. Okay, so sun has gone down and it, it's the, you know, you, you got Jesus still in the tomb and all that good stuff. So when it says Saturday evening, it, it's really transitioning from a late Saturday evening into an early Sunday morning kind of a thing. What really what, and this is specific to New Living Translation, um, what it's trying to communicate to you is that there, it's just dark. It's, it's really dark. As these ladies are about to go to the tomb, it says, when Sabbath had ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, if that's how you say her name, went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus's body. So sun goes down, Sabbath is over. Now they can go and purchase the spices and they're getting everything ready for this trip to the tomb because they're going to put more spices on the dead body of Jesus because they didn't believe that he was going to rise from the grave. Please understand that. So as holy as we, these people are, and we like to elevate them to these positions, they were going to anoint his body with more spices because that dude's dead. These ladies, all ladies mentioned there, were at the foot of the cross and watched him die. So they're buying more spices. That, what a waste of money, right? Have you ever thought about that? You're like, oh, they just wasted all that money. Um, however much they spent, no, it was all for the Lord, and that's awesome. But they were going to, they were expecting to find a corpse, is what they were going to, they were expecting to find. Very early on Sunday morning, okay? So it's still dark. Yet just at sunrise, they went to the tomb, okay? What we also need to understand is these ladies knew which tomb he was in, right? Let's, let's get rid of all the nonsense about they went to the wrong tomb because that just doesn't make, it just doesn't make any sense at all. These were people who walked with him and saw him buried in that tomb, so to speak, okay? They knew where they were going. So they walk up to that tomb, these ladies, they're buying the spices, they're going to go to, to the garden, and it's just, the garden is on the, the other side of, of Golgotha. It's all right there. So you're not like going across town to go to the tomb. So literally, there's no way you would mistake the tomb, because it's, it's right around the hill. You would know exactly where it's at. These ladies who watched him be mummified, so to speak, wrapped in these linen cloths and placed in that tomb and saw the stone rolled. And then the Roman soldiers put their signet on that thing. And they were all surrounding that tomb so that nobody broke in and stole the body. They knew exactly where they were going. Even though the sun was just rising and it was a little dark outside, they knew exactly where to go. On their way, verse three, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? See, these are, you got three ladies. They're walking up there and they're like, how are we going to move that stone? 
Who's going to roll that thing away from it? Because, I mean, it weighs like probably a couple of tons. They know that the Roman soldiers, they're not going to help them out. And if the, if the Jewish leaders had any of their guard there, they weren't going to help them out at all, right? So they, these, but these leaders are like, we're going to get there. We're going to anoint his body with some more spices. We're going to take care of the dead body of Jesus. But we got a problem. Who's going to roll the stone away? Little did they know God was already working ahead of them. Isn't it amazing in our lives and in our walks with Jesus that he's, he's already a few steps ahead of us? And we're thinking of the problems. We're thinking of the issues. And let me tell you, when you walk with Jesus, when you serve Jesus with your life, there are going to be issues. There are going to be complications. There will be stones blocking the way sometimes, but he knows when to step in and to roll the thing out of the way at the right time, which might not be your time, but his time is better. Little did they know, and we know from the other gospel accounts, the stone had already been rolled away. It had already been rolled away. The Roman soldiers had already scattered. There was chaos that had already happened within the garden, so to speak, okay? God was already active, and Jesus wasn't, he wasn't in the, inside the, this tomb anyways. But they don't know that. Again, they're expecting a dead Savior. That's what they're anticipating. It says, but as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large had already been rolled aside. It's already done. Problem solved. And I can't imagine what they were thinking as they approached that, like, whoa, okay, wait a minute. That stone's not supposed to be moved. Well, that was the thing you were worried about in the first place. Then your mind goes to another thing of like, oh, no, somebody beat us here. Somebody may have, what, stole his body or whatever. It's going to shock them. But they entered the tomb. They're going to they're, they're go in. They got the spices. They're going to do what they came to do. They enter the tomb. It says they saw a young man clothed in white, in a white robe, sitting on the right side. We know that this young man clothed in white is really an angel. There's an angel in the tomb. It says they were shocked, but the angel said, don't be alarmed or do not be afraid. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. They're like, duh, yeah. We, we could see that. <laughs> like, he's not here. Well, I love his next, his next phrase there. He is risen from the dead. See, this angel, this messenger from God, angels are messengers from God. And if they deliver a message, it has to, it's because it can, comes from God the Father. Okay? No angel can deliver any message on his own. Please understand that. Any other religions that are out there saying, no, this angel showed up and said this. Well, does that align with what the word of God says? Did that message come from God the Father? Because if it didn't, I don't want your message. I don't need your message. It's got to come from the Father because angels are messengers. And this angel is positioned there by God the Father with a message to deliver to these followers saying, he isn't here. He's risen. He is risen. There's three heads up that Jesus gave to all of his followers. Mark 8:31, he told them, they're going to kill me, they're going to bury me, I'm going to rise from the dead. Mark 9:31, they're going to kill me, they're going to bury me, I'm going to rise from the dead. Mark 10:34, they're going to kill me and then they're going to scourge me. He elaborated a little bit more. He's like, but they're going to bury me and I will rise from the dead. He told them that three times, at least three times that we know of. 
And here's this angel. He's like, yeah, he told you this was going to happen. <laughs> he's, he told you. He, look, he, he, he's gone. You should have expected this. I love the gospel accounts because I'm so much like everybody within the story who is expecting Jesus just to not be there. That sometimes, to my fault, how I live my Christian life. Expecting him or assuming that he's not there. Or assuming that like he's not active anymore. He's not, Lord, where are you at? You're not doing anything in my life. You're not speaking to me. Why aren't you talking to me? All this stuff. And I'm just the same as these people showing up to a tomb expecting a dead Jesus inside of there. But no, he's alive. He's active. He's, yeah, he is, still is speaking. It may not be audibly like you want him to be at sometimes, but he has spoken in this thing called the word of God. You can hear from him from this thing. We don't always like what we hear from him from this thing, but he's still speaking because we're told from the book of Hebrews that this book is alive and active. I'm just like these guys who go to the tomb expecting to see an inactive Jesus. And here's this angel, this messenger from God's like, yeah, remember, he's not here. He's, he's gone. He's risen from the dead. He said, look, this is where they laid his body. Now go tell his disciples, including Peter, that's key. That is absolutely key in this gospel. Because we remember Peter, the last story, part of the story with him was he denied Jesus three times. Three times, just flat out denied. Not even not like, no, I'm not a Christian, but like, I don't even know that guy. And then even bringing down curses upon himself. May God kill me if I'm connected to him. Like, that's pretty extreme denial, right? That's like, that's pretty extreme. But here, this messenger from God communicates to these ladies, go tell his followers, oh, and please tell Peter, specifically singling him out, what? He's forgiven. He's forgiven. Including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you in Galilee. Remember, he told them that as well. Look, here's what's going to happen. But I will meet with you in Galilee just a few days later. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. Many times, the women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. Now, what you need to understand about that phrase there, it doesn't mean that they didn't deliver the message. They delivered the message, but they didn't talk to each other as they're running away from the tomb. Okay? Now, we know chronologically some other things happened. Mary Magdalene was there, and she thought Jesus was the gardener. We know that that had happened, and then he spoke to her. He's like, Mary, and she's like, Rabbi. Like, he knows. He know, yeah, Mary, he knows you. He knows your name, and he's not a gardener, right? But she wasn't expecting Jesus. She's like, hey, if you took his body or if somebody took his body, can you tell me where they've taken his body? And he's like, Mary. And the light bulb came on. She's like, whoa, Jesus. Beautiful story with Mary. I love Mary's story. Mark's going to go into greater detail on, on who she is in just a second. But, man, the Lord uses, like, just the, the strangest vessels sometimes, right, to communicate and to deliver his word. I am, like, an example of that. I hope you understand that. If you know anything about me or my past or whatever. But I, I find great encouragement in the people that Jesus has chosen to use, and what's amazing about the most important story in all of the Bible, the resurrection, the most key story in all of your scriptures, the resurrection, because if this isn't true, then put the book away. 
This is the most key story in all of the Bible, okay? God exists. He has always existed. We know that. But he has chosen to, like, create this world and then create us and, and bring life to this planet and all this good stuff. And, and he's got a plan, and there was a falling away, and he, but he was the rescue plan. And it all comes down to the resurrection because the resurrection proves that Jesus is God. And it proves that he was sinless. He was perfect, and that the, the sacrifice that was necessary for your sins, for my sins, was absolutely received by God the Father. The resurrection is key. Paul even said in, in 1 Corinthians 15, look, like, if it didn't happen, then we're all not, we're crazy. We're crazy. And we're, we're the most pitiful people on the planet if we're believing in something that never happened. The resurrection is key. And with the most crucial story in all of the scriptures, God uses three ladies to spread the good news. You have to understand that that's, that is big. That's major when you understand the context. That the witness of women was not as reliable as the witness of men. They were seen as lesser than men. And God's like, I'm going to use three ladies. I'll use these three ladies. One of them was really messed up before she met Jesus. Really messed up. God's like, yeah, those are the ones I'll use. And we would be like, no, 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 God, that's not how you should do this story. Okay? We've come up with these solutions and these, these ideas and these plans and these schemes for really getting the church, you know, jump-started, God. And here are the people you need to use to make this thing spectacular. And God's like, you can keep your plans. I got my own. My ways are not your ways. His ways are better. And he chose to use these three ladies as the first messengers to pronounce the greatest news ever. The greatest news ever. And their message is not believed really by anybody. Can you feel that? You understand that? Have you ever shared with somebody how great Jesus is and they just don't believe you? You're like, but, but no, yeah, you've got to. No, he's the best. And they're like, man, eh, maybe for you. Maybe for you. I'm happy for you. That's great for you. That can get discouraging. But what we'll see in just a second is we keep sharing the message because the message is true. So it, there might be a little mark in your Bible, a little uh, parentheses or something that says this next part, this is the longer add-on part of the Gospel of Mark. And you're like, well, wait, why does, wait, is it short? Let me tell you this. This Gospel would not have ended at verse 8. Okay? It wouldn't have ended at verse 8. It would make no sense if it ended, if that was it. Like, okay, 16's done, close the book and we're done, right? Uh, that wouldn't make any sense. Okay? So, well, why, why do we have verse 9 on and, you know, and is this actually biblical or is this, should, was this added in here? Can we trust this? I'm going to tell you right now, emphatically, you can trust this. Okay. Now there's, there's a lot of speculation as to why, you know, ancient manuscripts don't have this portion on. There's thoughts of like maybe in Mark's original writing, the, the end of it, like a piece of it tore off and they lost that piece and they just added this into there. There's lots there. The, what I can tell you though, is you shouldn't like, number one, uh, don't throw your Bible away, okay? Just because you're like, oh no, we can't trust the word because of this part. That's, that's just, that's not really logical thinking, number one, okay? 
And I want to read to you guys from David Guzik what he had to say concerning this section before we go into it. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you right now, I believe this portion of scripture is inspired by God, and it is true. Well, how can I say that? Because it's in the other gospels too. So that's my first, that's common sense right there, number one. I'm like, well, it says this, basically the same stuff. There's some things in there that's different. We'll talk about that. But David Guzik said this about this portion. In many Bibles, the last portion of the Gospel of Mark is footnoted in some way, indicating that it did not exist in the earliest Greek manuscripts of the Gospel of Mark. This troubles some Christians regarding the reliability of God's word. And I'm going to tell you, it shouldn't, okay? (laughs) But they wonder if this passage belongs in our Bible, So here's an argument against this portion of being in your Bible. Okay, I want to provide you an argument against and for, all right? Two oldest existing Greek manuscripts uh, do not contain this section of this portion, this last portion of Mark. hundred other ancient manuscripts translated into other languages leave it out also. Let's see here. There's some other historians that, that don't cite these verses. There's just a few historians, actually. Uh, in a few other manuscripts, there are two other endings, one shorter and some with additions. That's kind of what we have right now. One third of the vocabulary is totally different from the rest of the Gospel of Mark, and there's an awkward grammatical transition between verses 8 to verse 9, and most contemporary scholars reject these verses as original. Okay, so those are the, those are the arguments of like, this last part probably shouldn't be in there. Okay, here's the arguments for of Many very early Christian writers, actually a whole lot of early Christian writers, refer to this passage in their writings, okay? They, they all believe that this is, should be included, okay? And I got a list of them, Justin Martyr, Papias, Irenaeus, uh, Hippolytus, Vincinius, I mean, if that's how you say that guy's name, I don't know, but um, all these guys quote or cite Mark 9 on, okay? These are major early church fathers and historians, all that good stuff. Overwhelming majority of ancient manuscripts do actually include this passage. Actually, virtually all Greek manuscripts include this portion of scripture. Okay, let's see here. It's so there's like, should it be in there? Was it torn away? Was this added? All this good stuff. And and even the the argument against it about the vocabulary and everything. I'm gonna tell you right now, like literary style, it actually does match up with the Gospel of Mark. Okay, there's this uh, chiasm. It's a literary style called chiasm. Okay, so it's like. It's, it's like bookending a letter or some sort of literature that you're writing, right? So in the chapter one, you write this truth that, like this. Then in the last chapter, you repeat that, same, that kind of same style, but you do it in a reverse order. So it's like chapter one is A, B, C, D. Chapter 16 is D, C, B, A. It's a, it's a literary style that's commonly used, and that is what you find in Mark chapter 16. So it does mirror, it parallels chapter one, actually, in the Greek, okay? So it's called a chiasm is, is what it's called, or chiastic literary form is what it's called. So when I read through the Gospel of Mark, I don't stop at verse 8. I keep going through 9, 10, 11, 12. I go all the way to the end. But why? That could be, so, what if that's Satan putting that in there to mislead you, Pastor James? He wouldn't have included this because this is against him. Why would he do that, right? That's, that makes no sense. And it, again, it reflects the heart of all the other gospel accounts. So let's look at this. Let's see, I think I summarized all that. Uh, if you want more, more resources concerning that, if this really does trip you up, because it may trip you up, if it really does, I can point you in the direction of many resources that can help clarify that, probably better than what I did. Hope to the hopeless, hopeless, red for the broken heart.
Thanks for joining us today here on Bread for the Broken. You've been listening to Pastor James Grizzle as he teaches through the book of Mark, one of the accounts of Jesus' time here on earth. Though it's short, this book is powerful as it's filled with encounters that Jesus had with people, everyday people just like you and me. And the book of Mark reminds us that Jesus came to serve. He humbly did what needed to be done, even if it wasn't glamorous. Jesus healed the people who were sick. He spent time with the lonely and the rejected. He loved the unloved unconditionally. And then he proved his love by the ultimate act of service. He gave up his life for all of us. He took the place of every person on the earth, and then those to come, because we all deserve death. Our sins make us unacceptable to God, and we're unable to do anything to fix it. That's why we need Jesus. Today, if you haven't allowed Jesus to be your Savior, please consider it again. If you have questions or would you like to talk more with someone, then please take a moment and go to breadforthebroken.com and click on Contact. Just fill out the form and we'll be in touch with you. You can also come visit us if you're in the Galveston area. Bread for the Broken is a ministry of Calvary Galveston, and we meet every Sunday and Thursday. So find out more at breadforthebroken.com. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Next time, Pastor James will pick up where he left off in the book of Mark. So make a note of where we are and make plans to join us next time, here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you, man.